Welcome to the Shock Your Potential podcast with your host, Michael Sherlock. We all have potential, but sometimes we need inspiration to get us to our peak performance. Whether you are starting out in your career, ready to move up the corporate ladder, or taking the leap into entrepreneurship, Michael's guests provide powerful tools and resources to shock your potential. Shock Your Potential is a global professional development training company committed to your unique journey. Learn more about us today at shockyourpotential.com and download our free Shock Your Potential app today. Listen in to today's expert. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Shock Your Potential. I am, of course, your host, Michael Sherlock. That hasn't changed since last you listened. And all month long, we are talking about a very, you know, appropriately timed topic, money in the month of April. Money matters or money matters, depends on how you look at it. And my guest today is going to look at this from a number of different perspectives for us. Ted McLyman is an entrepreneur, business owner, author, speaker, trainer. He was a lieutenant colonel, uh, retired, and um, he's also, listen to this, Ironman all-world age group triathlete. He said to me before we started taping, aka I was the old guy, and I said, I don't believe that for a minute. But he has over 30 years of award-winning experience helping individuals and organizations uh, achieve peak performance, and we know how important that is. He's got a number of degrees behind his name, including one from Boise State University, back kind of close into my old uh, stomping ground territories. But really, we're going to talk about uh, a number of things, including the fact he's a founder of Apex Behavioral Financial Group, director of behavioral finance, dreamsmartacademy.com, financial expert advisor, you name it. He's got a lot on his resume, and I know he's got a lot to share. Ted, thank you so much for joining us today. It is my pleasure. I'm tired listening to that. (laughs) I know. We listened to our bios and we're like, oh my gosh, when did we accomplish all those things? And why do I have them all listed? (laughs) Well, it was busy COVID. Yeah, really. I got caught up on a few things. (laughs) Well, Ted, it is such a pleasure to have you join us today. And as we talk about our, you know, theme money matters, it's been really a joy this month to, you know, hear from so many different people who want to help us learn how to make the most of our money or gain control over our finances, whether it's personal or business. So I can't wait to learn from you. So tell us a little bit in your own words, more about you, your business, and how you help your clients to shock their potential. Oh, I'm wonderful. Thank you so much. I work with people and money, money and people. I've done that in my entire life. And when I was commissioned uh, in the Marine Corps, coming out of Colgate University, I was chasing sunshine and sun. Uh, (laughs) If you've ever been in the Syracuse area, you'll know what I mean. Oh, yeah. But when I got to our first duty station, which was Hawaii, where I was introduced to sunscreen and sunglasses, I found that most of the young Marines and, and sailors I was working with were just incredibly poorly prepared to deal with a high cost area, managing money, and it caused all kinds of problems, domestic problems, substance abuse, performance, security clearances, uh, retention, career advancement, and just went on and on and on. And, and at that point, I started getting involved with these young folks. Uh, at that time, I guess I was one of them also, but just getting them to understand that money <laughs> was more about managing behavior than it was about managing money mm-hmm. and move forward a number of years. Uh, I taught economics at the Naval Academy there. I found it took smart young people to really screw up money. And we found <laughs> out that they were losing their commissions and, and a lot of crazy oh. problems. 
Uh, built the Marine Corps financial management program, was a commander of their schoolhouse, uh, ended up as an aide to the Secretary of the Navy for financial management, and got the opportunity to work with the uh, House and the Senate and the staffers. And there I found out it takes a full-time professional making a lot of money to really get money wrong. Uh, along the <laughs> and, way, doesn't yeah. matter what age you are, you can still screw it up. Oh yeah, uh, they just use bigger numbers and more commas. And, and it yeah. became very obvious that nobody really understands the money piece. Uh, when I retired, went into uh, private practice as a financial advisor and, and was doing the traditional things, talking about money and that we're all rational. If I just give you enough data, one more spreadsheet, one more graph, you're going to get it right. And I found that yeah. was ridiculous. It wasn't working. 2008, we had our meltdown. And mm -hmm. I wrote a book around that time, my first book, primarily for my clients to get them prepared behaviorally for the meltdown. And it worked mm -hmm. wonderfully, wonderfully for them. Uh, that evolved into another book uh, with Jay Alexander Martin, one of the founders of the FUBU Corporation. Uh, Jay, mm -hmm. as a young guy, had no training in money, uh, had a burn rate of about $8 million in 10 years on just stuff he couldn't account for. Wow. He read my first book and said, we need to talk. And that came into a book he and I wrote about his experience. And I, I, I lay, overlaid my, my thinking about behavior. And then uh, last year, just before the COVID uh, hit, uh, we got ready to launch another book, which put the brakes on it immediately called Discover Your Money Temperament, A Common Sense Guide to Financial Security. And the intent mm. of this book is to make people understand that number one, we humans are not hardwired to work well with money. Mm -hmm. We don't read the footnotes on the prospectus. We don't look at the uh, small print on the software disclaimer. No. And most of us have, don't have a clue how interest rates work. And, and as a result, we've got to understand that success with money is about understanding and managing behavior, which I call your natural money temperament. Mm -hmm. Money is secondary. Actually, the money piece is easy. It's the behavior piece that's hard. And mm -hmm. that's what I do now. It is so true. Um, especially, you know, when you, uh, when you are going through different stages of your life and the relationship with money, you know, as you start to get it, you know, for a little bit, you feel better, but then it's never quite enough. And so, you know, sometimes they're spending because you don't feel like there's enough and you deserve it. Um, and then you feel bad. I mean, so many cycles that we can get into that also prompt our behavior. And so, you know, peeling back that layer of onion to get at what really is making us make choices, it's not an easy thing to get somebody to that point. Oh, absolutely correct. I mean, fundamentally, there, there are three things that conspire against us on a daily basis when making money choices. First is our biology. As I said before, mm -hmm. we humans just aren't good at this. The behavior that kept us alive in the forest eons ago, you know, is not working too well at the mall or on amazon.com. So it just true. doesn't work. 95 to 99% of our, our spending is emotional, non-conscious mm -hmm. and automatic. Next mm -hmm. is our belief set. We are hardwired or softwired, I guess, uh, by mid-adolescence to have a certain attitude about money. And ironically, it's not so much our parents, it's our peer group in middle school. So how you mm -hmm. were in middle school pretty much dictates how you are today with money. And the last part, and this is hugely important, probably the biggest driver is culture. We are driven culturally by most of our spending behavior, good, bad, or indifferent. And there are just all kinds of research I've got and stories on how you have the car you have because the person next door thinks you need one. And we move from there. <laughs> 
You know, it's so funny you say that because um, this fall, my husband and I spent some time in Florida. We're trying to, you know, eventually move there. So we're, you know, looking at where we want to be. And we typically spend a lot of time in Naples, Florida, because my mother-in-law has a condo there. And you go to Naples, Florida and talk about the car situation. (laughs) You drive down the street. I have never, well, before Naples, I had never seen a Bentley. I had seen a Rolls, but more like, you know, one that was a part of, you know, someplace that rented them out for weddings and funerals. Um, But, you know, every car there, every third car is a car that starts, you know, at the basics at $225,000. And every time I'm just fascinated because I'm like, where, how rich do you need to be? To have your Florida car be a Rolls or a Bentley. And then I'm like, and it just messes with your mind. I mean, even if I had that much money, I cannot fathom spending that much on a car. And yet it is part of that culture without a doubt. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's universal. I mean, I've traveled around the world and every culture I go into, the commonality around the world is we're human. And the human act activity of thinking about taking care of ourselves, which money is the common denominator of modern economy. It's the, it's the oil and grease that makes it happen. I mean, if you're living on a subsistence farm someplace in you know Wyoming, some of these issues aren't too big of a problem. But I don't know many people are doing that and making change at Starbucks with a chicken is hard. So we generally don't go in that direction. So modern society is what it is. And, you know, the level of financial literacy in our society is abysmal. We -hmm. just kind of assume that you reach a certain age, you're going to figure it out. And the school systems are pretty much designed to make us employees, get us trained to work for somebody to do something. And we're we're very ill-prepared for the dynamics of modern culture and the modern economy. I mean, it used to be we were a cash-based economy. Now we're a digital economy. And our brains work with digital money very differently than real money. And that's an issue. It really is. I was just talking with somebody about the same topic because um, I know that like with my husband and I, I don't feel comfortable if I don't walk out of the house with cash. It doesn't have to be a lot of cash, but like my dad always told me, you never go anywhere without a $20 bill. <laughs> you know, at yeah, that time yeah. you could actually take a cab for $20. And I think it was like with a quarter, without a quarter and a $20 bill. Cause at that time you could use a quarter in the yeah, payphone. Yeah. <laughs> now you can't find a payphone and 20 bucks doesn't get you lunch. So, exactly. I mean, but just think for a second, how annoyed people are today when somebody's in a catch cash out line and, and somebody breaks out their checkbook. Yeah. I mean, people grab their heart and roll on the ground, you know, exactly. and, and I even had somebody look at me with disgust because I was using a debit card and not my Apple watch to pay for uh-huh. something the other day. I mean, it's just crazy, <laughs> but our brains don't relate the same way. Here's an example. Yeah. If you have a hundred dollar bill in your wallet or purse, you can carry that around literally for months. Yes. Cause you but don't want to break it. You break that thing. It is gone. It just mm-hmm. evaporates because non-consciously our brains feel and think of a hundred dollar bill very, very different. It adds a different value to that than it does loose change, paper money, less than $20. And right. it's just easy to just give it away. It's so true. I would rather use, if I have a hundred dollar bill in my wallet, I would rather use my credit or debit card to purchase something than break that hundred dollars. Absolutely. And you know, it's there and it's there in case of an emergency and it does, it's not the same as having a 50, like a hundred oh, yeah. has way different mentality. 
Exactly, exactly. And that's, that's a classic example of us being very human with our money. And we have to remember, contrary to what the talking heads say on TV and what you learned in economics, if you took a course or a course on personal finance, which assumes we are rational, that we do deliberate, consequential, rational decision-making. When we uh, uh, spend our, our scarce resources, it's deliberate. Uh, we do this quick cost-benefit analysis. Well, yeah, right. Not yeah. even a little bit. Maybe when it's a certain level, like buying a house or a car, something very consequential, until you get to picking options, and that's all emotional. Yeah. So well, we're emotional beings with money. And I, one other thing that you uh, that I took note on um, that you know, thinking about our school system, you're right, still is preparing people for that. Go out and get a job, you know, go work for somebody. And yet we're seeing, especially with the millennial generation, how many are becoming entrepreneurs and the, the money and financial management in a, an employee mindset is different than an entrepreneur's financial mindset, you know, in and of itself, because you don't have a guaranteed income coming in, you, you know, so it's a little bit more of sometimes abundance, sometimes scarcity, and not that, you know, that steady drip out. But we, you know, we are moving, even, even if you don't, if, even if you don't become an entrepreneur, moving to a more virtual workplace, I think is going to have some of those impacts because you're like, well, why not order that extra thing? Cause I need it and I'll have it delivered. Even though I could have walked to the store three blocks and got it for cheaper. It's playing havoc with how, how we see our spend and, and income. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we are so ill-prepared for what, what the reality of what we're going through right now. In the book, I talk about at depth about the rules of money have changed. And part of it is what you said, the economy. It used to be, think about your grandparents in particular. If they left town, it was probably to be in the military. And they mm-hmm. came back. They married somebody from high school. They worked for the same firm for 30 years, uh, retired for five years and dropped dead. I mean, really. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of what the cycle was. And everybody lived within walking distance of, of grandma and you went there on Sunday to have chicken. And, and that was the lifestyle. You got paid cash sometimes, maybe a check. You had a little yeah. pay envelope. You went down to the local savings bank and you put it in and everybody knew you. Yeah. Well, today it is completely different. I make the statement in the book that today everybody is self-employed. Whether they know it or not, they are self-employed. You are at the mercy of a change of technology, a change in software or an economic or political event that could be on the other side of the world. And it's not going to take six or eight months or years to impact you. Sometimes it happens in hours. That's the economy we're dealing with. And the game changer is longevity. You just were down in Naples. The median age down there in that neighborhood is significantly higher than it was a few years ago. Yeah. Uh, when I started as a financial advisor, the average uh, elder, elder, older uh, client I had was in their 70s. And we had to make, we would do a financial plan to make adjustments to come up with about $500 extra a month because they had social security. They had mm-hmm. a savings account. Their house mm-hmm. was paid for. Their support ne- network was right next door. And it was easy. Today, not so much. And now you have to build in my my Bentley and my rolls into my financial plan. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Because I'm pretty sure you're not allowed to live down there unless you know that you're going to buy one. Hey, <laughs> they don't even want me in the neighborhood with, with my car, so I don't even worry about it. <laughs> we don't even own a car. My husband and I live in downtown Philadelphia, and oh, we yeah. sold when I'm, I moved here from the other side of the country. So I, I noticed that you uh, spent some time in Boise, um, and I grew up in Washington State in Spokane, Washington. And uh, so when I, I moved, you know, cross country, and I brought my big giant SUV. 
And after in here for a few months, I'm like, all we do is pay to park it in a parking garage because I refuse to park it on the street. So we sold my car. My husband didn't have a car because he lived downtown with within walking distance of his of his office. We haven't had a car in 10 years. And the the problem with going to Florida is we know we're going to have to buy a car. Oh, and yeah, it's like, yeah. Oh, after 10 years with no car, it is so wonderful. <laughs> well, you know, and that's another example of how the culture you move to when you were on the Midwest, big trucks, big SUVs, but you drove very long distances to get yes. basic necessities. Talk to somebody that owns a ranch in Wyoming, what it is oh, not to yeah. have a truck. And it's not unusual to drive 90 minutes to go find Walmart. Yeah. So that's hard to explain to somebody, one of your neighbors in a brownstone in downtown Philly, when they're going to go, I'm really upset. I've got to walk around the corner because Chili's, you know, the, the cheesesteaks I love are not available. I've got to go two blocks. But I can call exactly. Grubhub and I can get it in 20 minutes. And then it's only a $25 sandwich. Why do I care? Exactly. <laughs> at, at a premium, knowing that that cheesecake stay place also just lost a lot of money by paying it to Grubhub. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I but the don't work that way. No, and, and you're right. And I think it's it's a really, you know, thinking back to your uh, one of your initial points where you talk about, you know, our biology, you know, we're not just, we're just not built for thinking about money um, and, and thinking about how we are changing and our world is continuing to change quickly. It really is, I think there's so much opportunity for even more significantly damaging financial decisions for oh, people yeah. today than there was when I was 20. Um, you know, I mean, you could still make stupid decisions then. And I remember getting my first, you know, credit card in college, which was stupid. Um, I mean, it wasn't stupid to have a credit card. What I did with it was stupid. Yeah. 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 Uh, that pizza party and the beer. I mean, I understand. I bought like a $400, you know, CD player, you know, like, <laughs> and I don't even know what happened to it. It's clearly gone, but $400, that was ridiculous. That was my oh, first yeah. you know, major purchase. And I thought I was so cool, but I see so many more landmines for people today, you know, especially, you know, the age of my kids, um, you know, in their twenties and thirties. But I even think about, you know, the, the ones in their twenties now, or those coming up earlier, even younger, that the consequences are going to be higher and the opportunities for missteps are bigger. At least that's from uh, my perspective, or else I'm just getting old and thinking everything's changing too fast. <laughs> well, all the above. Um, <laughs> but you think about it, the consequences are so immediate uh, in, in making mistakes. I mean, when I was growing up, I had a buffer. I mean, you can't, you know, uh, a float a check anymore. Well, nobody knows what a check is. Oh, and nobody knows Even what floating float a check, check is. is something that not, you know, half your listeners are going, what's that mean? Well, you oh, had yeah. a few days to go figure it out. And the person, the bank probably knew you or knew your parents and they could pull that check for you. Today yeah. it's instantaneous, oh, instantaneous. Yeah. And it ripples through your entire digital profile. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, it takes a lot more thinking. I mean, we talk about our brains again. Our brains are really designed to do two things well, keep us alive and pass on the genes. Everything else is secondary. Yeah. And, and, and most of the time we're focused and the younger you are, depending on what those two priorities are, um, <laughs> you know, what, what, what's important to you, but money is not a high priority. Think about it for a second. Our brains biologically have been around for eons. Mm -hmm. Money's only been around as a medium of exchange for a few thousand years. That's true. Our biology has not caught up with that reality. And the concept of money and the concept of commerce is changing exponentially as we speak. You know, who, who knew what a Bitcoin was a couple of years ago? I still don't know what a Bitcoin is. There you don't go, even give people are buying them. <laughs> <laughs> 
but you're absolutely right. And it gets back to your, um, your great comment about it's hard to make change with a chicken at Starbucks. And you're right. I mean, it's logical before currency to think if you have, uh, you have vegetables and I need vegetables and I have a chicken, we can make an exchange. That makes sense. It's food for food. It's equal to equal, but you're right in the, in your head. I mean, I love it when I hear from people and they're like, you know, we're talking about the stimulus checks and all, you know, everything that's going on with that. And people are like, I don't know why everybody's fighting over things. It's not like we can't print more money. And every time I hear that statement, I'm like, oh my God, you don't understand money. Right, right. Yeah, <laughs> of and, course and, we and, can print more money. It doesn't have the same value. Yeah, yeah. We can talk about Germany after World War One. I. I mean, that worked well, or Venezuela or, yeah. or some of these places that are just print more and you start yeah. carrying around in buckets. But that's also another indicator that I would say most people really do not understand how all this works. And I'm not condemning them. It's complicated. And, and money is complicated. And, and as a culture, we seem to slough it off as something that's really simple. If you can count to 10, you can make change. And if you can read a label, you can buy something. How hard could it be? And don't worry, I have plenty of time to fix it. Because the other reality of our, our very imperfect brains is we're not good planners. And we tend to live in a bubble of 18 months behind us and eight mu- 18 months before us. And we call mm-hmm. this, uh, uh, you know, the, the, it's a bias that we have. It, make, it keeps us alive, but it doesn't make us real good in, in trying to anticipate where we need to be. And then you factor in that, particularly women, this is important for women. Most women are going to be alone at least a third of their life for whatever reason. That mm-hmm. longevity factor is critical and you have to plan for it. And the sooner you start, the better off you are. But emotionally, that's uncomfortable. Our feeling brain, what I call it, is, is gets really upset and wants to shut down. Our thinking brain, which is our modern brain, goes, hey, we got to do this. But you'd much rather buy the $10,000 range to put in your $50,000 kitchen. The fact that you don't cook, cook is irrelevant. <laughs> but you've got the range, you know, in case, and it is a great place to have Christmas gifts because nobody looks at the oven. <laughs> and it make and it really improves resale value. <laughs> oh, exactly. And particularly if you forget, you put the gift in there, you know? Exactly. <laughs> I love it. Hey, Ted, we're going to take a quick break and okay. we are going to be here from our sponsor. We'll be right back. Imagine starting a long journey without a map or even a clear idea of the obstacles ahead. That's exactly what it's like for entrepreneurs who start companies with a lot of passion, but without the financial expertise to grow and scale their businesses and create long-term wealth for their families. Find a financial advisor who can help you map a better journey. Wayne Titus shows you how in his book, The Entrepreneur's Guide to Financial Well-Being. With the right advisor at your side, you'll have the freedom to focus on what really matters to you. Get the Entrepreneur's Guide to Financial Well-Being at Amazon.com and in the virtual bookstore on the Shock Your Potential app. And we are back with Ted McLyman. And I love I love our conversation so much. And I, I'm giggling because I do actually use my really nice stove. Um, I use it so much that it, it probably needs to be redone. But I have lots of friends who have stoves that never get opened and they're beautiful. And I'm like, can I just come over and cook on your stove? And they're like, no, it takes too much work to clean it. <laughs> Or I don't know how to turn it on. (laughs) Exactly. So all month I have great experts like you on, and I'm just asking for, you know, what are your top couple tips for my listeners and viewers to, to take from our conversation today and really make a difference in their financial future? 
Yeah, I, I appreciate the opportunity. I mean, after working with you know thousands of people and clients and the like over a number of years, building pretty sophisticated financial plans, I, I distill this in my book into what I call the money behavior system. It's very simple. It's very common sense. It's outlined in the book, but it starts with number one, what are your money values? Mm -hmm. What is truly important about money to you? And I'm not talking about goals and stuff. <clears throat> Excuse me. It, it's usually something deeper. It's usually legacy and family. And I don't care what it is, but if this is going to cause you emotional pain, that this is not accomplished at some time in your life, you better take a look at what you're doing. And, and for, again, for a lot of people, it's, it's very personal and you got to dive deep and it's you more than a new house and a new car. Again, I don't care if it's putting a black, um, you know, brass plaque over the urinal in the football team you sponsored at college <laughs> and it's costing a $10,000 donation. If that's important to you, that's what you're moving for. But you have to sit down and clarify your emotional values with money. Number two, your money temperament. I call it money temperament and it's how you feel and think about money. It's, it's unique to you. It's organic. And it's a very complex set of, of chemical reactions and biological reactions. It's emotional, but it's unique to you. So you've got a unique money temperament. Are you a spender or saver? Are you a maximizer sufficer? You know, are you a risk a taker, risk adverse? And I don't care what it is. And this is where I differ from a lot of financial advisors. My job is not to make you like me. My job is to give you a plan that works for you, how you naturally work with money. Mm -hmm. So if you're a spender, good. If the, if the valet at Neiman Marcus knows your name, great. <laughs> but you better take steps to make it easy to save and difficult to spend and put things on autopilot. So that's taken care of first. And then anything yeah. left after that is yours to go with. Okay. Go then, then your money knowledge, money knowledge is more than technical knowledge because most of the technical technical knowledge people have is based on classical rational economics and finance, which is appropriate for about 10% of the population. Most people, their heads blow up. Yeah. What I say, yeah. Yeah. When I say money knowledge, what I mean is how do you process information? Mm -hmm. What's your learning style? Are you a visual learner, an auditory learner? Um, uh, you know, do you have to touch it? Do you like looking at things? And then demand that a product or service that's being offered to you be offered to you in a way that you are comfortable analyzing and processing the information. Mm -hmm. If you ever bought a house, you know what I mean. Oh yeah. It comes with oh. you know the clothes is nothing more than six inches of paperwork that says you should not buy this house. Exactly. Okay. And, 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 and we're not reading every one of those pages as we Oh yeah. Yeah. And you're paying a lawyer, you know, 1500 bucks to go through it at warp speed. So you can go out and celebrate the house. Exactly. So you've got to understand that you have a unique way of processing information and that preference will bias your decision-making. Mm -hmm. Next, you need a money strategy. Money strategy mm -hmm. is nothing more than where you want to get to, to achieve. How are you going to, in the grand scheme of things, achieve those money values? But more importantly, does this strategy also factor in your natural money temperament, how you naturally feel and think about money and how you process information? Then what is your money plan? Your money plan is the execution. Are you going to do it yourself? Are you capable of doing that? Do you want to work with a professional? Do you know what the products and services are? So the money behavior system is the front end that nobody's talking about. It's the front end we never talked about as financial advisors. We always brought you into the office and we just said, mm -hmm. I could tell you four things we talked about. Do you need a house? You need college for the kids. Mm -hmm. You need a retirement plan and you need some savings. 
Okay. The rest of that is just fill in the blanks. Do you want a white house or brown house? Do you want it in Boca Raton or do you want it in, you know, up in the villages? Okay. The rest is nothing more than driving some money to give it to you. How do you like me? I've done a wonderful job. And you walk out and you go, what just happened? What do I own? Why do I own it? I don't understand this thing. Yeah. Why do I own it? The subset of this is our financial services and products have become incredibly sophisticated very complex. I mean, in the book, I've got the story that I was doing a due diligence meeting with um, uh, the the Fidelity funds up in Boston a few years ago, and they were introducing a new product that we're going to roll out to our clients. And it was a French PhD and a German PhD that developed the product. And as you would expect, one had a degree in physics and the other had a degree in, I think, uh, theoretical statistics or something like this. And you know, it's gonna be a fun presentation opens up. I did some screenshots before I got here. I know you can't see them in the back. There are only 50 of them, but let's get started. Well, okay. But halfway through it, they got in an argument about one of their their math formulas that nobody, nobody understood in algorithm. And they started arguing in German. We looked at each other and we said, we're professionals. We don't know what they're doing. And they're going to unleash this on the general public. You got to be kidding me. But that's just a kind of a a story of how sophisticated it has become. And most people are ill-prepared to deal with most of this. So you do need to work with, I think, in a lot of cases, somebody you trust. But it begins with truly best benchmarking who you are with money. Mm-hmm. What are your values? What is your temperament? And if you're married, your spouse or partner probably has a different temperament. Your Absolutely. kids probably have a different temperament with money again. It becomes very frustrating because we know that we're right. We know that everybody <laughs> should be just like us with money. Well, I do this for a living. I actually read the footnotes on some of this stuff. I actually understand some of this stuff. And when I look at somebody with a contorted face and go, why do you mean you don't understand this? Yeah. You know, I'm going, wait a minute, you shouldn't understand this. Yeah. So it's, that's it. So just to rephrase, I think you have to do the work up front to define who you are with money. That's what the book Discover Your Money Temperament is about. This is the book you probably should read before. It, this is a book written for people who won't read money money books. Okay. It's not about money. It's about behavior. There's no graphs, no arrows, no math. There's no product recommendation. It's just saying, discover yourself, benchmark who you are, then venture out. And I recommend you work with people that understand you for who you are, how you think and feel about money, not just somebody who's going to give you whatever somebody saw on television the last night and you need one. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Take the time to find the person that's the right match who also wants to know about your financial temperament that also wants to know about your emotions and and history with money that also wants to take the time to understand that because then they'll work with you in the way that matches what you need and how you absorb and retain information. Absolutely. You got it. And don't be afraid to get up and say, thank you. I need to go someplace else. Yeah, I love it. Ted, thank you. This is fantastic. We'll have all of your contact information on our show notes, but just in case somebody's listening and they're like, I need to work with that man right now. What's the best way for them to find you? tedmcclyman.com. There you go. That's M-C-L-Y-M-A-N. Excellent. Before we go, do you have any last words of wisdom or pearls of advice for my listeners and viewers? Use the COVID opportunity to benchmark where you are because when we're eventually getting out of uh, work release here, uh, you're going to have a new economy, a new way of looking at business and be prepared. I love it. Ted, thank you so much. You have been a joy to talk to and a great resource. I hope you have a great day and thank you for being on our show. 
Thank you so much. I've enjoyed it. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Shock Your Potential podcast. Learn more about us today at shockyourpotential.com, including details on Michael's two best-selling books. Tell me more, how to ask the right questions and get the most out of your employees, and sales mixology, why the most potent sales and customer experiences follow a recipe for success. Make sure to check out our Shock Your Potential app, on-demand professional training resources to help you excel in your career. And as always, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and like us today.